Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 193 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the 2016 preseason. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and it is great to be back with you as always. It's uh, It's been quite a while since our last show. That was in January, and we are only two weeks away now from the season, fin- uh, season finale, season premiere in Australia, and plenty has been going on. Less than two weeks away from the preseason finale. So there's a finale involved. Mind always. blown. Okay. So there are a couple of really, really big issues that are the forefront of the thing. Um, let's start with qualifying. There's been big changes to the format of qualifying. Uh, the World Motorsport Council has been voting on these, and there was things it was going to be the thing, and then it was not going to be the thing. Now, the latest I've heard is that elimination qualifying is confirmed for the first race of 2015. So uh, are, are you up on this? The World Motorsport Council is really got to start, like, they seem so desperate at finding solutions in search for problems. You know what I mean? Like, I I thought qualifying was one of the best parts of Formula One. And here they're like, no, we definitely need to improve this. I'm like, where and why? Qualifying was a strong effort. And now they felt like, no, not strong enough. Yeah, well, the, the main change here is this elimination while the cars are running. Every 90 seconds, a car drops out. So... I guess the idea is that the fast guys can't just set a banker time and be really fast, like a Mercedes at the beginning of Q1 or whatever. I mean, I guess if their time is fast enough, they'll probably be okay. But um, the idea is the slowest cars will uh, will get will drop out every 90 seconds, which the first thing that comes to mind, which I'm sure they've talked about, is then there's going to be some people that are trying to set the fastest lap of the, of the session that they possibly can. And then there's also going to be people that are slowing down because they're about to enter the pits because they've already been eliminated on the same track at the same time, especially in uh, Qs 1 and 2, which is when there's the most traffic at all. So... The biggest thing for me seems like, uh, call it a safety question, call it a logistics question, but, you know, cars trying to go really fast, cars trying to not go really fast, and they're try- trying to share the track at the same time uh, seems not brilliant to me. Um, and they, it's apparently been decided. Uh, for a while, there was there was talk about it wasn't going to happen until Spain, when, of course, the uh, F1 community goes back to Brazil, or back, Brazil back to Europe, and uh, and everything's there uh, because Brazil of the Brazil is not in Europe. That, it, that's not. It really isn't. That's true. That's uh, true. Yeah, I, I, I know what I know what you're getting at, I, and I agree with you. What I, I feel like it's even a deeper issue than that. Of course, safety is a huge thing to think about, but what is the essence of Formula One? Like, what is the heart and soul of Formula One, and then more specifically, Formula One qualifying? It is what is this car and driver combined capable of doing over a single flying lap and that's no longer the case now it is this random elimination who's done what at what time i i have a hard time with this Uh, yeah i agree um and i guess in a way we can wait to see how it actually pans out it looks like as of now anyway two weeks prior uh, it will happen in australia and i guess we can see it seems like it's just going to be complicated for everyone. Uh, there's uh, enough other changes. Now there's a, th- you know, a, a third tire compound that can be used for the same weekend. Uh, there's other, obviously new drivers, some new team, one new team and some new colors and all that. So there's already going to be enough things that are different. Now this is another thing to explain to new fans and also current fans, because this is a new thing uh, and knockout qualifying with the, the current, I guess, as of last year, uh, that's that format was difficult enough to explain to people. And now this, this expands upon that further. Uh, but I think almost uh, equally, uh, you know, questionable is the way that this was introduced and then 
shelved and then reintroduced as, um, oh, it's going to happen. This is going to be this new thing. And they said, oh, no, it's not. And then they said, oh, we're not going to change Q3, but Qs 1 and 2 will be different, and Q3 will still come down to the wire. And then it's, it was going to be introduced, and then they said, oh, and it's not going to be till Spain. And all this is sort of surprisingly close to the beginning of the season that the format of, you know, the race weekend is pretty drastically changing uh, with you know, how these teams have to calculate what they're going to run and for fuel and tires and getting the driver the uh, you know getting the car set up and getting the the, the, the brakes in the periods you know when they're going to when they're going to gas everything up and change tires and all that so there's it's it's sort of surprising that they don't have their stuff together better I guess well no it's not it's not surprising at all it's disappointing but with the World Motorsports Council or whatever it's called what is it called World Sports Council. Uh, WSMC, uh, WMSC, World yeah, Motorsports. Motorsport Council. Yeah. yeah, okay. They just, the last five years has just been one ridiculous item after another, in my opinion. I mean, you know how I feel, for example, with the whole let's make the cars faster in 2017 rule. I, to me, that's silly and disingenuous and uh, fraught with potential problems. Now they're like, well... We can't wait until 2017 to make Formula One even goofier. So let's mess around with qualifying and make it something that, as you say, is harder to understand, less clear, and even further from the purity of motorsport. Qualifying was, up until last year, and including last year, the last pure, no fuel economy. No holding back. How fast is this driver with this car? And I feel like we haven't lost it completely. I'm not trying to completely dismiss this qualifying format, but we're definitely losing some of it. We're, it's 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 more of a circus, less of a pure competition this way. Yeah. Well, just thinking about it a little bit, it seems like what this changes for the show of uh, you know watching it on TV or watching it from the stands is a team. Uh, can't just wait until the end of the session and set their one lap, okay? Because we sort of know, okay, Mercedes probably is going to be fast enough to get through Q1. So they could go in and they can set a really good lap. They're not going to be one of the bottom, uh, what is it, uh, bottom seven drivers that are going to be eliminating Q1. So they can go out and set one lap. And unless the times are drastically falling, like it's, you know, a wet but drying track or whatever, but in a normal dry quality. Real quick, I'm sorry, Jim. Is it is it seven or is it six? I thought it was going to be six, six, then the top 10. Um, I'm seeing seven, uh, on the article I'm reading now, but that's part of the point is this has changed. This is actually from end of February. So, um, it's either seven or six, but, uh, uh I think that, that may have been one of the things that they changed as they ratified it was, Oh, let's make it six. But either way, they're not going to be in the bottom X number of drivers. So what this changes though, is the teams that might be among those bottom drivers. Um, they, they certainly will be the, the last driver if they don't get out and set a time. So I guess this, uh, tries to just change the, the sort of, uh, backloading of the, of quality sessions because, uh, teams can't just sit there and wait and wait and wait until it's, oh, now just time to set one lap, go out and set their one lap, because if they're not out there midway through the session, uh, it seems like it goes for seven minutes, and then the slowest driver is eliminated. So you have to get on track within the first seven minutes, uh, just so you're not the slowest driver, and then, you know, carry on throughout the session as, uh, and, you know, unless you can set one good lap, in which case it's good enough to, to hold on through the through the session. So it's a, kind of a tedious difference, and it's it's not about getting the fastest guys out there to drive faster for longer. It's kind of about getting the mid-pack or slower guys out there just more during the session. Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> we'll have to see. You and I, Jim, are usually fairly positive about Formula One. And 
I really don't want that to change. I like being a Formula One cheerleader, but and you look great in the uniform, so it's all good. I think this is this is the year that you and I have collectively been the most cynical, and this is the year where I've seen the most meddling with what the sport is. And you know, there's people that are complaining about it now. Let's, if you don't mind, move on to another topic that I think is a little happier, which is Pirelli adding a super soft compound tire to the lineup and this is not taking away a tire we're adding an additional compound now tires are becoming more complicated to explain as well but to me this is a worthy change this is something that will improve the show overall that we have a softer even more radical tire Right. So that is a lot of what people want, right? It's setting the ultimate lap time. This is the fastest drivers, and then this is their chance. This is the softest, grippiest tire that you could possibly use. Hopefully, though, I mean, every once in a while we have cases where the harder tire is faster just because of the way that it wears or just the temperature of the track or whatever. But hopefully this is a big enough difference in terms of the compound that uh, it really is a big difference. And we see we see laps that are very different off of one tire to another and that it's difficult to then make that tire last. I mean, that should be uh, it's something that we've sort of looked for in the tires over the years. And at some tracks and some temperature ranges, it's a, it's a really dramatic difference between, you know, softs and mediums or hards or super softs or whatever. But hopefully this with the super soft is uh, just a really dramatic thing. Uh, the sidebar, side sidewall color is purple, um, just like on the timing screens when someone goes purple as fast as of all. So it's uh, another, you know, cool bright color. They'll be able to see uh, who's on what tire and someone's just going to go out there and nail it with uh, with purple tires. Real quick, I think it was, I think they're now called ultra soft. I think we already had a super soft. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking super duper soft, but that doesn't sound right. <laughs> the SDS. No, these are the ultra softs to to be even stickier. And in addition to the super softs, the softs, the mediums, and the hard. So we're talking about changes in the sport that we have coming for 2016. I'm going to go ahead and put this in the positive category. I think this is a good thing. Right. So it looks like ultra soft tires will be introduced for the first time at Monaco. And then, uh, and, and that'll be uh, mandatory Q3 for uh, the mandatory Q3 tire for Canada. And then uh, super soft and soft will also be available. Uh, Whoa, so, though, why, why wait till Monaco? Now I'm confused. I don't know. That's, uh, I guess, part of what, uh, part of what's changing as, as time goes on is the way these things are going to be introduced. Did the World Motorsport Council say, no, it has to wait till Monaco? I'm going to blame the World Motorsport Council for everything now. I, 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 I think that, uh, a lot of the unrest that's going on in the Middle East, for example, is because of the World Motorsport Council. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. But the the deal with uh, a lot of these questions, and especially what's going to happen in 2017, uh, if anything at all, part of the question is, well, what what of these changes can we delay, and what's actually going to happen in 2017? But a lot of these come down to the difference between uh, a sport or entertainment, and some people see F1 as just as entertainment, and it's a huge entertainment business, and it's all about making money for those who are investors. Other people see it as this is a sport and this is a way of showcasing talent and drivers and winning the championship is not just a, uh, uh, you know, just just a prize like on a reality show, but this is actually means something in terms of uh, just the sport of you know, motorsport and of auto racing. And some of these changes uh, come down on, on either side of that, where is it better to have uh, engines that are road relevant and hybrid and turbo powertrains and things like that, that are uh, being clever about the way they're using fuel and making relevance to road car manufacturers, or is it better to just make really cool sounds and have flames shooting out of them? I mean, we've got sparks now, I guess uh, flames wouldn't be that crazy and qualifying changes to lesser extent, but it's more about how good is the show, how many drivers are on track and how that's going to work. So some of these tires you could make, you could make the case of, Oh, we should just have 
you know, 17 tire compounds and just let anyone pick anything and just whatever happens, it's exciting and woo and, you know, have jumps to the track and grave digger and whatever. There's, there's a lot of ways <laughs> you could go yes. as entertainment. All right. But let me let me jump in and say to me, the answer to that question is fairly straightforward. It is the purity of motorsport that is the most entertaining. And well, in your opinion, well, OK, who's else? Who Who else matters here? Come on. My opinion is the right opinion, which is that the purity of the motorsport is what's entertaining. No, okay, all right. I'm being a little bit full of myself there for a moment. Let's take a step back. What was so amazing about Formula One in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s? It was engineers pushing to the limit, drivers pushing to the limit for the sake of of motorsport, and that was really entertaining. Now we're getting into this kind of like, well, how do we force entertainment on it without, you know, God, I, I'm really getting disgusted with how cynical I sound. I don't want to be that way, but just let the competition rule and not try to force entertainment. Well, it it sounds like they're trying to please people for whom pure motorsport is not interesting. And the question that could be asked is, do we need to please those people? Do we need people that would otherwise have no interest in motorsports but would go to a monster truck rally. And I keep using that example. I would love to go to a monster truck rally. It's just a different thing than Formula One. Uh, so I don't mean to, to uh, you know disregard those opinions. But I guess the question is, for some people, for the business people, they say, oh, the more eyeballs, the better. The more people tweeting about it and posting videos and posting whatever, uh, the, you know, the more people buying stuff from the brands that sponsor us and all that, that's what they want. So for some people, certainly the business people, investors, and there are many of them, they want the most eyeballs possible. They want the most successful thing. And if they talk to someone on the street and they say, you know, do you know about Formula One? Oh, no. And they can say, oh, well, there's just all these great racing and these great drivers. And if they go, oh, I don't really care. Then they can say, oh, but man, there's flames and there's craziness. And look at these cars. They make this amazing sound. And you'll hear it from across town and you're going to be sucked in by that. And it's trying to interest these people that are not otherwise interested. So you and I are already in for it. You know, we've, we, we started following Formula One in uh, some of the arguably more boring times when Schumacher was dominating and it was a pretty much, you know, surefire bet he would be at the front or near the front. And it wasn't all that amazing of a, oh my gosh, what's going to happen this weekend? But it was still interesting because of technology. I mean, yeah, the V10 sounded cool, but even just the TV, you didn't get the same experience as, uh, as, as some of these things. But just you follow the drivers, you follow the cars. We were excited about it. I think most of our fans probably are as well. Uh, but it's amazing that there's so many people that like to follow Formula One, and yet there's still so much quibbling over uh, how are we going to make money? We're not making enough money. We need to make more money. We need to get different people and we need to keep changing everything because we, we can't let everything stick. So it's like, it just keeps kind of changing around. And then we end up with these things like the qualifying where it's, I don't think anyone is really trying to argue that it makes the sport better, just that it makes the entertainment better to have cars at, on the track, uh, you know, for a different time for just for the qualifying uh, when I don't think it's necessarily going to even reflect, uh, you know, change the results. Uh, of the of the actual race. I mean, the fastest driver should be able to set the fastest lap, regardless if they get knocked out halfway through the session or if it goes down to the checkered flag. But um, it's just to the entertainment part of it. That's just it, though. I, I think that what they might be trying to get for is that a little bit more of that reality TV effect of, oh, this is more attention-grabbing and shocking and more dramatic. And I just really hope I'm wrong and that's not what they're going for. I mean, we're still going to watch, just like you said. You and I are not the people they're trying to convince. They're trying to convince the less hardcore fan that Formula One is still a way to spend your weekend. So, uh, 
I get that, but I don't know. Can can we can we move on? <laughs> can we talk about the actual cars and stuff for a minute? <laughs> sure. So I guess it's all of this is related, of course. But one of the other big questions that comes out of this is: Are F one drivers these tough as nails gladiator types that should just be risking life and limb and possibly death every time they get in the car? Or should there be more safety measures to keep accidents from becoming serious injuries and potentially fatalities? And of course, the centerline of all that right now is the new Halo system, which was tested for the first time just a few days ago and uh, has already drawn some a, a lot of support, but definitely some um, some people that are not happy with it, especially Lewis Hamilton and Nico Hulkenberg, um, who say uh, just that it's like part of the point of being an F1 driver is the danger and you take away this danger and they look stupid and we don't want that. And uh, and then a lot of people are saying, oh, you know what, functionality, it's OK and it's definitely safer. I disagree with Lewis and Nico for sure. I mean, when uh, the Hans device first became mandatory in Formula One, uh, I know that Michael Schumacher made a point of saying, oh, I don't like this thing because I can't turn my neck in the natural way that I like to. When I was in go-karting, I kind of bent my head to the side as I turned it, and I can't do that with a Hans device on. But they made it mandatory, and... He got used to it within, I don't know, a race weekend, and everything was fine. And a year later, no one thought twice about it. And this is a more visually provocative thing to do. Right. I mean, the Hans device doesn't look like much of anything to a spectator. Right. This exactly. does make a Ferrari look like a flip-flop. <laughs> Cannot unsee. Yeah, well, which, uh, which, by the way, a flip-flop is the American way of saying uh, thong, is it? And mm -hmm. uh, thong doesn't mean the same thing in America. Anyway. I guess it kind of looks like that, too. I mean, depending well, okay. how you imagine the whole rest the, of the situation. Digression. It, the point is that I feel that safety is something that we've already, we've always marched towards becoming more and more safe. and. The safer we get the cars, the stronger argument we can make for let's not hold them back. Let's really go for it. Let's really maximize performance. And so in that sense, I'm very much a fan of the safety. Specifically the Halo, yeah, there are drawbacks, certainly. But I don't know. I, I This is an ever-pushing effect. And look, no one... No one expected Jules Bianchi to pass away and have the head injury he did. But the injuries that have been happening in modern open-wheel race cars have been when things get at the one vulnerable part of the body, which is the head. The other question is, is the halo, like you mentioned, that, you know, I, I think most people agree safety is better. I guess accepting that um gladiator attitude of like the whole point is that you should it should be really dangerous because that's the fun some people uh may think that way and that's i guess fair enough but ask jackie stewart who retired from formula one after just a few years who was so desperately upset about um was it yonkin richt well i mean that was one of many i mean i've seen people pass away it's ask ask a driver that lived through that era you know ask well i don't know Pick a guy, um, and uh, you'll. I think you'll get very different responses than these modern drivers saying, "Oh no, it should be dangerous." It 
being able to brag about doing something that's dangerous while you're still alive, that's one thing. Actually having real friends perish and pass away um, unnecessarily, that's a different story. Now, if we were saying, oh, let's, let's make the cars a lot slower so that they're not as dangerous, so that uh, more people will live, that's a different conversation. We're not trying to make the car slower. In fact, this could... <laughs> This halo could turn into an aerodynamic element. I mean, almost certainly will turn into an aerodynamic element and could actually make the cars faster. And I, so, I don't know. I For me, I really, I have a hard time listening to people complain about something that will potentially save their lives. Right. And some people are, are saying, okay, we agree, safety and certainly head trauma and, you know, protecting against these the weirdest of crashes, which tend to be the worst ones. Uh, is is a valiant effort, but the halo is dumb for whatever reason. I mean, it looks weird, and it does. Uh, you know, any any kind of closed structure is going to impair the driver's visibility somewhat. Uh, I thought it was hilarious that Kimi Raikkonen was the first one to try it, and his feedback was, "It's okay," because of course that's Kimi's feedback. That's what Kimi says. I love I love Kimi Raikkonen. That is why the Iceman needs to cometh and stayeth. Yeah, that's that's your helpful engineering feedback. And then later Vettel tried it and uh, said, oh, yeah, you know, you can see all you need to see and you're kind of focusing farther down the road. So you don't really see the, the pillar in the middle and so on. But the other question, though, is would closed cockpits overall be better? And, of course, that could lend itself to a faster car. It could be sort of a, an LMP car with open wheels and some, some of the fastest, you know, these uh, Vision Gran Turismo concepts and that crazy Red Bull concept and all that. You know, if, if aerodynamicists set out to set to design the uh, slipperiest car they possibly can, the fastest car they possibly can, it's not open wheel for one. It's got some, you know, some kind of fenders on it because the tires are one big source of air drag. But also, it's just about always closed cockpit because there, there's just so much uh, weird airflow around a driver's helmet and all that. So that kind of reopens that other debate about, well, safety. We all want to move forward with safety, but is it worth it to have this open wheel, uh, you know, or open cockpit format, or should we have closed cockpits? And there are, you know, they've got uh, prototype cars, obviously in Le Mans with uh, and and some very similar lap times at the tracks where they run. Uh, F1 and, and WEC together, and they've got ways of getting drivers out safely and getting drivers in and out and, and making things work. So uh, there's a, a valid uh, conversation to be had there. And of course, Formula One always has been uh, open cockpit and open wheel, but um, that's something that could change and I guess could potentially make the cars faster, could open up some different avenues. And I think a few people are talking about that, but nothing nothing serious at this point. There's no serious concepts or anything out there. And uh, the, the Halo... Uh, there's some onboard video and stuff of it now. It's it's awkward looking, but yeah, I mean, the first time it it potentially saved someone's life, then isn't that isn't that just worth it? You know, I think uh, it's, it's very few people that would really look at that and uh, and really just make the trade off to say, ah, oh, you know, we should really have better looking cars, and yeah, this guy shouldn't have uh, had this protection in, in an accident. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, and it's funny because, like you, I actually think that the canopy is the better overall solution, both visually and uh, safety and performance-wise. So three things. But I I guess for me, it's more like, hey, if this is what people agree is the best solution as a next step, fine. You know what I mean? I mean, if the halo is a stepping stone to a canopy, so be it. I mean... You know, maybe the halo will be the stepped noses of the uh, cockpit area, and then they'll be like, ooh, no, let's do something better, and we'll get something cooler. I mean, look, 
the automotive industry is changing significantly, and that change is coming as we speak, and it's coming fast. I mean, in 10 years, the auto industry is going to look quite a bit different than it did, than it does right now. It's going to be a much significant, much more significant difference than it was the previous 10 years or the 10 years before that or before that. This is like the biggest change, and I'm talking about electrification and automation. Those things are going to change the auto industry in more fundamental ways than the auto industry has changed in decades. So the point I'm getting at is if we have some change to keep motorsport relevant and exciting, but still having the same progress trajectory that the auto industry has as a whole, then don't fight it and don't don't say, no, don't change it. It should be exactly as it was before because when you keep things exactly as they were before with no willingness to change, they are the same way they were before, and then they just go away. And, of course, with Formula One, you know, in the auto industry, there's so much competition that if one automaker decides, oh, we're just not going to mess with, the, you know, we don't think electric cars or hybrids or uh, autonomous vehicles or car sharing, we don't think that's going anywhere. There are other people who will, other car companies will. And in the case of Formula One, if they go down a direction that people don't like, uh, there's not, of course, nothing else that's exactly Formula One, but there are other series out there, uh, other places for top-level drivers to end up with drives and uh, and go and impress people and find their way on a TV. And if, if there's, you know, some direction goes really bad that, uh, you know, there's other other things we can do that, uh, uh, you know, people will find more interesting. Uh, I do want to mention uh, Claire Williams, a uh, friend of the show, as it were, um, says to uh, ignore <laughs> negative commentary about F1 and says it's still amazing. Um, and she says, um, rather than becoming so embroiled in the negative commentary, can we just go racing and do what we love? So, I, I yes, Claire, I think we should do that. Yet again, amen to Claire Williams. She's the best. And I agree. And on that note, uh, I'm looking at a list of 22 drivers that participated in uh, testing this past week. And I see some fascinating things here. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, I see Ferrari on top. Kimi Raikkonen, the absolute fastest. Sebastian Vettel nipping at his uh, tail less than a tenth of a second behind him. Real quick note here. Kimi Raikkonen sent the fastest time of anyone, but he did so on ultra soft tires. And Sebastian Vettel set his time on super soft tires. And the third fastest car was a Mercedes. Now, the Mercedes was a quarter second off of the fastest time, but... They didn't even have tires on. No, they were running soft tires and set that time that was only a quarter second off. And that was by Nico Rosberg. Lewis Hamilton was way down the order. He was uh, ninth on this list overall, but he was only on soft tires and he was still within a second. So what I think we can see, what we can ascertain from this is absolutely nothing. Right. But we know, we know we who can, was there and set laps, and but, that's about but it. But we can say that... Uh, Ferrari is probably closer than they were. It's no, I'm, I'm take that back. It's conceivable that Ferrari is closer than they were to Mercedes last year, but that Mercedes is clearly still very strong. And you could also say that about Williams. And uh, here's another fun fact: Toro Rosso uh, was ahead of Red Bull again. Interesting note here, Toro Rosso is running 2015 spec Ferrari engines. But late Red 2015 Bull, spec, so, you know, that's the good one. Right, and Red Bull is running a Tag Heuer engine, 
which happens to also be a Renault. Uh, in these testing results, Toro Rosso is comfortably clear of Red Bull. And there's some other things going on. Force India looks like they could potentially be strong. But right there in mid-pack is Jensen Button just ahead of Fernando Alonso. Now, Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso set tire uh, set times that were roughly two seconds off of the pace. Jensen Button set his time on the ultra-sift tire, Fernando Alonso on simply the soft tire. But I want to convert to another list. The most laps completed were by Nico Rosberg, 937. Lewis Hamilton was fourth with 853. More or less, Mercedes is the benchmark for this. But McLaren Honda set 610 laps and uh, 610 laps and 700 laps between the two of them. So McLaren Honda is going to be way more of a force than they were last year. That is extremely good news, extremely encouraging. We have reasons to hope. So they'll be still running at the end, but potentially pretty far back from the leaders, maybe. I mean, the testing times, again, we don't really, they don't mean a whole lot, and I don't want to spend too they much They mean time everything. They mean everything until we see qualifying in Australia. But, I mean, I was excited to see Haas F1 team to turn up, and they had troubles at qualifying, for sure, or qualifying, in, in, uh, in testing, for sure. Uh, they did set some laps. Uh, they, they've learned a lot. They had a disintegrating front wing right away. They had some brake trouble. They had, you know, several different issues, but... Hopefully, those are the kind of things that you figure out in testing. Uh, they never, I don't think, really got everything working together happily in such a way that they said, oh, yeah, we're really happy with it. They said, well, we still have a lot to learn, and we're going to come at it. But for a brand new team, we've seen much, much less. Uh, I mean, even McLaren Honda, which is McLaren is not a new team by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, Honda was new uh, to you know return to the sport, and uh, they had troubles in testing last year. So we can't expect too much from Haas. Uh, I know Gene Haas and uh, Gunter Steiner were saying, oh yeah, we know how to do this. How hard can it be? And like, oh, we're going to come out there and we're going to do great. And of course the Ferrari package on which that car is sort of based uh, unofficially and the power unit, which is a Ferrari, um, should be uh, should be all very strong. Uh, but, uh, you know, a new team and just getting all the operations and getting all the testing and the spares and the parts and the, all the design elements to come together and trackside operations and all, there's so much to it. Uh, that is different. I do think there was a statement that came out from Gene Haas who said, I said, yeah, this is actually harder than we thought. Uh, you know, I've run NASCAR teams for a long time and uh, this is different and it takes more stuff, which, you know, a lot of us kind of expected something like that might happen. But uh, either way, it's it's not, um, I, you know, I have hope that uh, the Haas team will 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 be there. It's going to be better than... The, As do I. I mean, I, I'm also hopeful. And, uh, you, know, you know, they they were struggling, but they also, between Romain Grosjean and Esteban Gutierrez, they got over 500 laps in. So, and their times were slow, but they were two and a half seconds, three seconds off, not 15, 20 seconds off. And uh, and I don't know how uh, MRT did. I guess it's, well, it's Manor Racing. It's formerly Marusha, of course. Now they're officially not called Marusha anymore. It's Manor Racing, MRT. Um, and of course, it's so, I guess, MRT Mercedes, if you uh, consider the, you know, the power unit name in there. So uh, I don't know how they did in testing. And again, it really doesn't matter. But um, did they set some laps at least? Did they set some uh, set some stuff? They did. They're uh, Pas- uh, Pascal Verline and Rio Haranto. I'm probably Rio's <laughs> uh, name. I'm probably butchering. But they they did several hundred laps uh, combined together. Uh, so they were there, and their times were uh, mixed in between uh, with Haas, basically. 
but several hundred laps still. I mean, that that to me is is helpful uh, to sort of understand. Okay, they're, they're you know they're able to do that. They're, they're not running out of money as far as we know. You know, they're able to get to the test and do these things because we've seen some of these. You know, Marusha, of course, uh, or whatever manner Marusha last year. Um, you know, they they would turn up in Australia and they couldn't get the cars started, and then you know they didn't qualify at all, didn't race at all. Like you know, we've had oh, much, we're in much, a whereas, totally different the, place. The team didn't really exist during testing, so they didn't test anything at all. So you know, I'm I'm hopeful that these teams will come together well. Um, and since our last show, of course, we were speculating about the Renault that there's no way they're going to have enough time to put the put the uh, Renault powertrain in the in the in that car for 2016. That's going to have to be 2017. They must be running with Mercedes this year. But nope, they apparently redesigned the car around the Renault powertrain. Um, and just as soon as the uh, ink was just starting to dry on the deal, uh, I guess the designers got to work and said, "Okay, I guess we got to fit a Renault in here." So uh, they've done that, and uh, the car looks pretty cool. And it's testing uh, black livery, but we expect it'll probably turn yellow uh, come the uh, start of the actual season. But um, you know, it's that that's a pretty big effort as well. That you know, not to be uh, not to be sniffed at. That's also an awesome opportunity to segue into drivers because the lead driver in the testing. For Renault was Kevin Magnussen, the Dane, whom is no longer attached to McLaren at any level and is an active driver again, for which I think you and I can both agree. Huzzah! That's a good thing. Yes, we are happy to see Kevin get a proper drive and, uh, you know, hopefully the Renault is competitive. We're kind of not expecting amazing things from it, but um, it's good to see him have a drive and uh, show some people that he's, uh, you know, a motivated guy and a fast driver and I think there is a pretty good chance that this car could be faster than the McLaren Honda. I mean, we don't know yet, of course, but, uh, but uh, we can see uh, that that'll be one of the things, of course, we look for is uh, how does Kevin qualify with respect to the McLaren Hondas? And, uh, you know, if there's any if there's any laughs about that as uh, the season comes together. And uh, so, yeah, there's a couple of a couple of people that were not uh, confirmed before. So uh, Manor Racing MRT, we mentioned his name here. It's a Rio Harianto. I'm not sure on the pronunciation there. Um, he's uh, Indonesian. And uh, it's a, a huge company, huge I, economic force that we just don't hear a whole lot about in racing. But uh, the dude's got a lot. His of name totally him. sounds like a casino that would be in in Las Vegas or something. It's like, oh, dude, did you go to the Rio Horanto? Yeah, they've got excellent. I don't know slot machines. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so he was fourth in GP two last year. Um, he was in Auto GP. Uh, was GP3. he fourth? I thought he was fifth. Um, well, Wikipedia says he was fourth, so... Well, fine. I, Yeah, I mean, okay, you and I are clearly biased on this, but I have a really hard time seeing Rio in the car as opposed to Alexander Rossi. Obviously, Rio brought more money to the table, could offer Manor more than Rossi could, and Manor is a smaller team. They do not have the best financial situation. So I understand where they're coming from, coming from, but this was still this was an opportunity to have a properly trained, really committed American in Formula One racing, and it's not to be. And that's and really frustrating. Drive in the simulator because they don't have enough money to get to all the races, and with Rio there, they have the money to run a whole season. So uh, the thinking is okay. Pascal Verlaine was brought in as the sort of uh, part of the deal with Mercedes, right? You're going to get the engines powertrain, basically. Um, you know, support from Williams, as you mentioned a bunch of times, and um, the uh, and then and then you know it's like oh get our, our boy Pascal in there as maybe he's going to be one of the next guys when uh, Nico or Rosberg or Lewis Hamilton decides to move on and they'll have you know Pascal has done really well in DTM he's been a part of Mercedes for a long time and then they say okay that that's great that's our one guy who else you know they have to compare compare uh, of course the talent of the drivers and how well they're going to fit in with the team and of course one of those factors is money um, and so it's it's one of these pairings that of course you've seen 
um, where having Rio as one driver, as a paid driver, allows them to afford to run Pascal, who's more of a real racer guy, and we expect maybe better results out of him. So it's not, you know, the worst thing in the world or anything. And uh, if that does... It's the worst thing in the world. Come on, this was an American driver that we could have had, and this was not Red Bull's, oh, we're just going to do a competition and throw someone in. This guy was properly committed to Formula One, spent years and years in Europe, trained, became really, really good. He had a chance to prove himself last year in the last, you know, not the last five, but in five races towards the end last year, outperformed his teammate who had been in the car all season, and he's not in the car. Yes, I understand and agree with the economics of it, but as an American, I can still be frustrated about the situation. You are certainly allowed to do that, although I'm sure... And I'm going to be. I'm sure Alexander Rossi will find a drive, so I'm sure he'll be okay. Alexander Rossi already had. He is going to be an Andretti Autosport driver in IndyCar. He's going to join uh, Marco Andretti, and uh, I think Ryan Hunter Ray is still with Andretti. Anyway, he's going to join, which is basically... Andretti Autosport is like the biggest second-tier team we have. Uh, Penske and Ganassi that kind of rule IndyCar and the only other team in recent history that's been able to give them any kind of challenge is Andretti Autosport and that's who Rossi is joining. So that's a good, it's not perfect, but that's a good spot for him and he's going to enjoy, he's going to join another ex-Formula One guy, um, Max Chilton, who's also got an IndyCar drive. I forget with which team, I think maybe Dale Coyne. Anyway, so good for him. He's got to drive. He's going to get paid to race. Uh, he's going to get paid to race cars. That's still a wonderful, wonderful existence. It's just not what he was going for. Yeah, it's nowhere near as novel to have an American flag on your car when it's an Indy car, and like almost all your races are in the U.S. But still, um, you know, to to have him have a top level drive um, for those who consider Indy car to be top level, uh, that uh, certainly better than just another year as a reserve driver or sitting year out doing nothing or whatever, and keeps him on people's radar. So, of course, this is all before the first qualifying session, and we'll see how how these you know all these drivers uh, you know pan, pan out for the rest of the season. Uh, and there's every once in a while, you know, of course, near the end of the season, we get these silly season things. And of course, uh, Rossi started the year without an F1 drive, and by the end of it, had you know did uh, do some racing. So, uh, with sort of money and talent and different countries backing and different things around the line, there's uh, a lot that can happen. And I'm expecting that. Uh, you know, the, the lineup we see now of these particular 22 drivers may not be exactly the same as what we have at the end of the year. I guess I can't uh, stress my opinion enough about the testing that I don't want to get too either excited or down or anything about it because it's, it's easy to look at that and go, oh, Mercedes is going to dominate and maybe Ferrari be right there. And, you know, maybe kind of every once in a while, you know, Daniel Ricciardo will be able to do that, which is sort of just what we've had for a while. Uh, but we really don't know, uh, partly with what cars are going to change and what things, uh, the problems during testing that we don't know, or the way people were running things was Mercedes sandbagging. Maybe they'll be super fast, but we just don't know until qualifying for Australia. And that's less than two weeks away now. So it's if we can hold on just a little bit more, we'll finally have a sense, I hope, of the running order. If it's anything like the last few years, then maybe there'll be a wet quality session that we won't know anything and then it'll just carry on. But that's part of the fun as well, is just seeing how these things pan out and uh, trying to just I guess, yeah, see how see who's fast in what circumstances. And then if uh, if anyone gets fired, if anyone just changes roles for whatever reason and uh, and things uh, stay interesting throughout the team. I mean, I wonder if Alonzo and Button uh, are going to stay at McLaren through the whole rest of the season. I mean, through the whole rest, the whole season. Uh, if either one of them, more likely probably Alonzo, will get fed up and say, you know what, this is this is nonsense. I don't want to be here anymore. And, uh, and just 
you know, what does he have to lose at this point? If he's like, oh, I'm retired. You can't fire me. I quit. Okay, see you. Bye. You know, like if he if it's really not going well and he doesn't see a future for that, then somebody like that even uh, that could could really shake things up for for drivers. So that's all wild speculation, of course. But uh, I think there's just a lot of different ways these things could go. And uh, for now, uh, it's really just kind of wait and hope and see. And I guess we'll see if we can understand even how the qualifying even works when it uh, when it starts in a couple of weeks time. And yeah, okay, that's a fair point. And uh, going back to Rossi, as I understand it, he is potentially still going to do some reserve driving for Manor during off weekends for IndyCar. So if he does not have an IndyCar um, conflict of interest, he might actually still be in the Formula One car on occasion. Clearly, that's still where his heart is. And Manor is saying, look, you're clearly the faster driver here. We just need to be able to, as you said earlier, we need to be able to afford to get through the season. So, you know, take comfort in the fact that Manor, even if they hadn't said it explicitly, knows you're the faster driver. They just couldn't afford to do things the way they did. But I will say, um, Jim, uh, IndyCar has now, just off the top of my head, three ex-Formula One drivers uh, going, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, Max Chilton, and Alexander Rossi, and I could be forgetting a couple more. They are also going back to Road America, which is one of the greatest tracks in the United States. I really love it there. And during my racing days, that was home of uh, some of my best results. Well, Takuma Sato as well. Let's not let's not forget our boy Sato. Well, I but I don't think Sato has a seat this year. Uh, it says uh, AJ Foyt in prizes that uh, Takuma Sato will be number fourteen. Well, okay, there you go. That's that's even better. Anyway, I think you and I should uh, go to Wisconsin in June. That's Sebastian Bourdais, he's still kicking around. I didn't realize. Oh was... God, of course I forgot <laughs> Bourdais. So now we're up to five. But it, uh, IndyCar at Road America would be sweet. They're going to be there towards the end of June. I think that's worth a road trip. Could be, yeah. That's a beautiful part of the country. A really cool racetrack. Yeah, June twenty sixth, the Grand Prix of Road America. So uh, that could be that could be a thing, and uh, a nice a nice drive. Uh, not too different from uh, driving to Montreal. Although, uh, well, closer. It is. It is closer. Yeah, but there's a whole big lake in the way. You got to drive around that. That I don't know if. Yeah. Okay. There's a lake. Me. Listen. Ten hours will get you to Montreal from here. The meat not might not be smoked in Wisconsin, but I can assure you there will be plenty of it. So. Oh, and there's cheese uh, curds and there's like tasty beer. Yeah, I mean Wisconsin is. Oh yeah, and bratwurst. They are big on uh, bratwurst and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, don't let uh, my cynicism. confuse you i am very excited for less than two weeks away we are coming up on the 2016 formula one debut in australia what testing has told us i think is that we have the opportunity to see more competition than we've seen since the last big uh rule change in formula one maybe i think even at at a minimum, we're going to see more competition in the mid-pack. I'm really excited for it, and I can't wait for Australia. Yeah, me either. Um, I, I will be curious to see the details of the knockout qualifying, how that all has changed. And I think uh, it, it sounds, I mean, I guess any of these, even the current qualifying system sounds super complicated if you just read it. But if the on-screen graphics and the way the announcers present it and talk about it, I mean, I think actually it's, it's one of these cases where uh, just to have it, you know, to listen to this on the radio, 
might be super tedious because you can't see the breakdown of drivers and you could you can have a you can imagine kind of a countdown clock of okay who's going to get knocked out next and who's at the bottom now and then watch the guys and see where they are on track so i think it's one of these things that maybe once we once we watch this we're going to forget all about the controversy and be like, oh this is cool knockout qualifying yeah look at that the, every 30 every 90 seconds somebody gets dropped out and we can see who it is on the on the screens and all this stuff so i'm i don't want to even be potent you know super negative on that that could be something that it's fine and it's a small change and they say okay yeah that's cool that's just how qualifying is now so i'm looking forward to that that's definitely something that fom is is busy working on because at first they said oh the software is not gonna be ready it's not gonna show you what's happening and then they said oh, okay maybe we can get it ready in time so i wouldn't be too super surprised if the the graphics for that are slightly wonky in australia and then hopefully they they shape up a little bit for the uh rest of the season so that you know it's uh in bahrain of course uh, just a couple weeks after that and goes to yeah um and we've got uh, all russia right at the beginning of the year now so yeah australia bahrain then china then it goes to russia so we get uh, sochi right away in first of may Anyway, um, we've got the European Grand Prix. We've mentioned a few times that is still on the calendar, and uh, it's uh, yeah in uh, Azerbaijan, right? Did I say it right? No, uh, Azerbaijan. Um, Azerbaijan. Okay, was that wasn't. I mean, really, that wasn't that bad for me though. Yeah, and that's going to be a struggle between Le Mans and Azerbaijan, but whatever, we'll we'll get through that. Right, and then um, for now, I mean, really hoping it stays this way. The German Grand Prix is on the calendar this time. It's at Hockenheim Ring. Um, but uh, so it's 21 races, which of course has never happened before. There's, you know, I guess as with any any of these seasons, there's always a, a chance as things get closer. And of course, uh, you know, Azerbaijan and, and Europe and oil prices and, you know, that part of the world and so on, it's all kind of in a bit of turmoil. So I guess there's a reasonable, I don't know, there's a chance that uh, we may not actually go to Europe and maybe that's something that uh, that gets canceled. Um, and of course, you know, last year we had no German Grand Prix that I don't remember when in the year that was announced, but it was, it was not that you know, it was not a year in advance. I mean, certainly we we went into the year thinking that was going to be a German Grand Prix, and then it turned out there was not. Um, but so for now, 21 races. Uh, I hope that they all happen. Uh, that'd be great if they all happen. But I guess if if uh, Azerbaijan can't uh, get their get their things together and we get to watch them all without worrying about Formula One that weekend, then I guess fair enough. Yeah, at a minimum, I remember uh, I watched, I listened to my introduction for the Formula One season 2015. And I made a point about 20 races. So it was not announced, at least leading up to the first race. So I think it was maybe ahead of the teams coming to Europe, but not by much. Right. So, but either way, yeah. Okay. So we're all excited. And uh, as a quick, slightly more personal note, I don't know if you know, uh, Jim and I, uh, just like Formula One, are constantly involving and changing the rules. Uh, we are recording this slightly differently, and we hope better. Yes, uh, the downside is that I'm not uh, sharing the room with you, and uh, we we don't we, we can only see each other's beautiful face virtually through uh, through the magic of the internet. So yeah, we don't have the chance to uh, to uh, you know hang out and talk shop uh, in person for a while. But uh, hopefully, the uh, we have some other benefits, and that um, you know I can find some time in between you know kiddo bedtime and actually trying to get to sleep to get to work in the morning and all that, and uh, fitting the schedule. So hopefully, uh, everything. Uh, everything comes out audio-wise really well, and uh, and things work. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, you don't notice any problem, and you just think, "Oh, this episode sounds really good." But we'll, well see. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not thinking about problems. I hope that they listen to this and be like, "Oh, wow, they sound better. Their voices sound more full, and the volume. It you know, you don't have to turn the volume up so much to hear us clearly." I I'm optimistic that this is actually a big improvement in terms of production quality. Well, we haven't. Uh, I haven't assembled the episode yet, and it's not online yet, well, so I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get too excited. And, positive uh, mental attitude. 
We've been plenty cynical about the Formula One start. Let's be positive about this. I think it's going to be great. Right. I also think that it will be great. And uh, I guess like we talk about with some of these, uh, you know, safety innovations and various other things, I guess if it weren't for us recording the show remotely, it would be questionable whether it'd be able to uh, get together and find the time to uh, carve out, you know, five hours out of a weekend or whatever to uh, get together and... Uh, and yeah, dude. Know, aging thing, is... So. Aging is a thing that I'm not so sure about, this aging thing. Hey, in, in my case, you know, it's, yeah, the, the, the kiddo changes a lot of, uh, you know, when I can uh, sort of spend some wife points and try to try to bank them in advance and all that. So uh, those with uh, with young children out there, I'm sure, understand how that uh, how that all pans out in the uh, daily life and schedule of uh, young parents. So anyway, it's... Uh, the daily yeah. life and schedule of wife points. <laughs> Big shout out to my wife for doing bedtime on her own tonight because uh, that allows me to be here and uh, talking about Formula One with you. And uh, recording it for the world. I uh, second the big shout out. All right. So um, I think, yeah, we can wrap it there. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, you can visit funwithcars.com and uh, see links to all the uh, previous episodes. We do blog posts there from time to time. We have a link to our Twitter page, a Facebook page, all those kind of things. We post things on there from time to time. And most importantly, uh, you can send us send us information, send us feedback and thoughts. And people are always posting fun things on there that uh, they want to share with the group. So it's always a good time, and uh, there's a lot of activity there. Even if yeah, uh, we have a fantastic, engaging group, especially on the Facebook page. It's really uh, so it's enlightening and it's entertaining, and it's really fascinating to get a lot of intelligent ideas from different perspectives. I really appreciate that quite a bit. So, on that note, uh, thank you as always for listening. I am Jim Lau, and I am Robin Warner. Welcome to Formula One 2016. 